This is Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi, two of the top web bloggers in the legal profession. And yes, they are attorneys, one from California and one from Massachusetts, squaring off on legal news and legal observations. Lawyer to Lawyer is sponsored by Law.com, right here on the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. Bob Ambrogi, my co-host from Massachusetts, is off today. I'm Craig Williams from sunny Southern California. I write a legal blog called May It Please the Court and have a book out called How to Get Sued. Well, today's program is about a new email scam circulating that is targeting law firms and taking their money. It all begins with an email where an overseas company contacts a U.S. lawyer, calls on that attorney to serve as a settlement agent to collect a debt from a U.S. company. The company then sends a settlement check to the lawyer who deposits it into his trust account and then wires the settlement amount minus the lawyer's fee to the quote-unquote client. But the settlement check turns out to be counterfeit and the lawyer loses the money he wired abroad. Many attorneys have fallen prey to this scam. Wells Fargo Bank in San Francisco and City National Bank in Los Angeles have reported that at least six lawyers have been drawn into it. One of the more vocal victims is with us today. He's currently a defendant in the federal suit by Wachovia Bank, which is seeking reimbursement for nearly $200,000 that the bank wired on his instructions to a Korean bank on behalf of the company that hired him via the Internet. So today on Lawyer to Lawyer, we're going to talk to our guests about the details of the scam, how they were targeted, how one was victimized, and how one narrowly escaped. Other issues about consumer fraud, attorneys, and law firms who should use caution when conducting legal business transactions via email. So today we have attorney Greg Bartko, who is a securities and corporate finance attorney with his own solo practice in Atlanta. Attorney Bartko is an experienced partner-level attorney with securities, mergers, and acquisition, and corporate finance experience, which includes the representation of emerging growth companies and raising capital for these companies. Attorney Bartko is one victim of this internet fraud scheme and has revealed that fraudsters first contacted him in early February via an email from the Ta Tong Textile Company in Taiwan seeking representation in the United States to collect a large debt. He's on the show today to share his story with us and get the message out about this scam. Welcome to the show, Greg. Thank you, Craig. Uh, I hope that information I can give you and your listeners today will possibly help another lawyer out there someplace avoid the problems that I'm now facing. Great. Well, and our next guest is attorney John Donahue, who is senior counsel from Thorpe, Reed, and Armstrong in Philadelphia. Mr. Donahue concentrates his practice on customs and international trade law. He represents both U.S. importers and foreign corporations before all agencies of the federal government who have the authority to control the international movement of goods. He has substantial experience representing importers charged with both civil and criminal violations of the trade laws and is litigated before the federal district courts in New York, Maryland, and Pennsylvania, as well as in the U.S. Court of International Trade. He's been an adjunct professor at international trade law at Seton Hall University School of Law in Newark, New Jersey, where he is now, and he's been there since 1986, and prior to that, having an active practice of law, he was a special agent for the FBI. Attorney Donahue was another attorney who almost fell victim to the scam and warned fellow attorneys via email about the scam. We thought he'd have him on the show to give other people the same warning. So welcome, Attorney John Donahue. Thank you, Craig. Thank you for having me. 
Well, Greg, let's start with you. Um, we kind of covered a little bit in the introduction, a little bit of a tease about what happened to you, but uh, tell our listeners uh, exactly what happened and, and how you got caught up in this. Uh, Craig, your uh, summary was very close, so you, you've got your facts pretty good. Uh, we received some initial email um, inquiries in February of this year uh, and uh, from a company in Ta- that purported to be in Taiwan, a uh, company by the name of Tatong Textile Company. And it was the sort of inquiry that we do get periodically. I'd say maybe uh, once every other month or so we'll get an email from a company that's overseas that needs some help in the U.S. So we have, we have an international base of clients. wasn't terribly unusual that we got some contact from uh, some companies in Asia. It's been pretty active, uh, Korea, Asia, and other countries in Asia. Uh, initially, my associate got the email. He brought it to me, and I said, well, let's respond and see if, if uh, uh, they're for real. And we started to correspond with them by email, and uh, the level at which we were at with the Tatong people was at the CEO level. Um, they indicated to us that they had received my law firm contact information and four or five other law firms in Georgia uh, from the, quote, Georgia Bar Directory. Um, and that gave us a little, uh, gave them a little credibility because they were refer- they do refer to um, lawyer lists, if you will, Martindale Hubble, bar directories, and so on. So they seem to have a little bit of credibility in that regard. They also um, knew or know enough about the legal business and profession to have asked us whether or not we ran conflicts checks uh, once they gave us the name of their company. So they they know enough about what to say in their email traffic to lend credibility to who they are. Uh, once we started to draw the conclusion that they may be legitimate. We did our homework here to the extent we could. We checked on their bona fides. We checked on the debtors here in Georgia that they claimed owed them money. And everything checked out. Tatong is a uh, subsidiary of a fairly large uh, Taiwanese company that trades on the Taiwanese Stock Exchange. Everything we found out about them seemed to, to suggest we were really talking to Tatong. Um, as time developed, uh, we told them we would have to have an engagement agreement before we do any work for them. Uh, we sent that on to them. They signed it, returned it. And let me make one point, Craig, which is they don't do this. This scam is not something that they press on you in three or four days. Uh, what I just described took place in the months of February, March and all of March. So it was five or six weeks, actually, it took to get to the point of engagement. Uh, then they told us they were negotiating a settlement with a company here in Georgia and that we were likely to get a partial payment from the company in Georgia, and we did. We got a cashier's check um, from the company, or purportedly from the company, that was purchased at uh, a, a local bank, a fairly well-known bank in the Southeast SunTrust, we made a deposit of that check in our trust account like we're supposed to. Um, my banker told me it would clear in a couple days. After a two-day hold, uh, it did. And pursuant to the instruction we were given by the company, Tatong, I put that in quotes, by the way, 
um, we outbound we outbound wired uh, funds to their account on the 11th of April, and that was three days after we received the fund, deposited the funds. So we actually waited one more day, and um, I'll never forget the weekend because I had my wife and I went uh, traveling that weekend, and we came back. That Sunday evening or that Monday morning, I checked our uh, bank account uh, online status, and I had a huge negative one hundred and ninety-seven thousand dollar overdraft, which wow. really ruined which really ruined my day. I bet it did. Yeah, and uh, that began the, the 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 saga of me dealing with Wachovia, which is my bank, and SunTrust, which is the payor bank. Well, before we get into the next step, John, let's turn to you and talk about uh, the sequence of events that happened in your situation. Uh, yes, Craig. Uh, my uh, circumstance was quite similar to Greg's with a, with a couple of variables. Uh, Greg indicated that his dialogue took a sustained period of time. Mine did not. Mine went very quickly. Uh I got an email, very much like Greg. Uh, the source indicated that it had gotten my name from Martindale Hubble. And very much like Greg, I do a lot of business internationally. So it was not surprising to me that someone would, uh, A, identify me through, internet, through uh, Martindale Hubble and, uh, and hire me uh, by email. That, that's not uh, done every day. But it's not completely uncommon. There were several things in this uh, scam that were close to normal, uh, but just a little bit off. And what stopped me was the totality of things that were just slightly off that simply grew so many in number that uh, I stopped it. And what happened in in my circumstance was I got an email inquiry from uh, a company purporting to be a a manufacturer of uh, soldering equipment in a suburb of Tokyo called Techno Design. That was the name of their company. Uh, we did very much the same thing that Greg did. The first thing I did was to check them out on the internet and and found that in fact. In Saitama, Japan, which is a suburb of Tokyo, there was in fact this company, and that it, uh, and then we did a Dun and Bradstreet check on them. They came back as small but profitable. Within about two days, uh, well, the first thing that I did when they said they wanted to uh, institute suit against several companies in the Philadelphia area, I sent them an email back saying. I'd like to know the names of the companies against which you want us to bring suit because we want to do a conflicts check. And that was one of the first red flags. They came back and they said to me, we don't want to give you the names of the companies yet until we sign an engagement letter. That, of course, was a little bit unusual. We drafted the engagement letter and we put a reservation of rights in the engagement letter uh, stating that if... Uh, that if, in fact, when the disclosure of the target defendants was known, if it was one of our clients, we reserved the right under the engagement letter to withdraw. Just like Greg, they promised to give us 
what they called an evergreen retainer, uh, which I considered a fairly sophisticated term that they would put money in our accounts and they would replenish it uh, as as time was invested. Uh, I then got back an email from the purported uh, Japanese uh, prospective plaintiff who said that he had taken our engagement letter to his board and that the board voted to approve us to be retained. I was a little bit surprised by that because my D&B check told me that this was a very small company and that I was speaking with the CEO and I didn't see the need for board approval. It was not terribly, uh, it, was, it was just a small red flag. They then, we then signed the agreement and I had previously in an earlier email to the company said to them, uh, I want to make sure we are, that the matter is of uh, such a size that it warrants hiring a firm of our size or 110 lawyers. And he sent me an email back saying that the amount in dispute was $2.8 million and that he was wanted to proceed against five companies. So everything somewhat seemed to be in order with, with just a little bit of uncertainties. He signed the agreement. We got the agreement back. And then the next day, I got an email saying that he was happy to report to us that he had settled one of the several cases that he was going to retain us for. And he said that the, that the amount settled would be uh, for uh, approximately $1.1 million, that he was going to get $360,000 uh, within 48 hours, and that the balance would be paid in 30 days. And the email was a little bit unclear as to whether or not we were getting that money or whether uh, the money was going to be forwarded directly to the plaintiff. In, within the, ver in the very next day, um, I got a check payable to our law firm for the amount of $363,000. And that I considered a big red flag because this was a guy who only five or six days prior had contacted us. And five or six days later, he's directing a check of very significant numbers to be sent to our law firm. And that surprised me quite a bit. I thought that what I would get is maybe two checks, one payable to my firm in the amount of the retainer and the other payable to the company. And I began to be quite concerned about it. The email said that they would then send us wiring instructions. And um, I had pretty much concluded that if the wiring instructions were directly to the plaintiff company in Japan, it was probably a legitimate undertaking. Uh, but if it was to anyone else, uh, I was probably in the middle of a scam. And the next day, sure enough, I got an email directing me to wire this money to an account in Korea. And uh, I, I was briefing my management 
as things were going forward and had told them that in my view that was my that was the the ultimate test and when that uh when the wiring instructions came telling me to send the the money to Korea I said uh we're not going to do this and I then began with a with a check in my hand I then began to pursue the source of the funds it was alleged to have been a debt that was owed by a company in Massachusetts and I eventually found that the company was not in Massachusetts but was in Canada I tracked down the company in Canada I tracked down the CEO and he said to me that you are the 10th law firm that has called me with this story and five of the lawyers who have called of the 10 called only after they had deposited the money wired the funds and then learned that the check was a counterfeit um Amazing. so it, it mine moved very quickly i i was i was able simply to take the totality of these red flags and say there's something wrong here i'm not i'm stopping and in Greg, in your situation, you said the bank told you that the check had cleared before you wired. Well, uh, let me be a little more uh, specific. When I walked in to the branch that we deal with, and I know the customer service uh, representative, he sees me probably three times a week, I handed him, in my case, and John, I'm not sure if you did mention you got a cashier's check or was it was it just a company check but we got a cashier's check so did we draw- okay and and uh, the cashier's check was drawn on a well-known bank SunTrust I handed the check to the customer service uh, person and I I said to him uh, how long will Wachovia hold this for collection and he noted that it was a cashier's check from a local bank and he said well they'll probably put a two-day uh, hold on it I said, I need to wire it out, so I'll be able to do it on Friday. And, he's, and he gave me some affirmative to that. It never, that, that whole exchange with me and the uh, uh, customer service uh, representative was very common. I mean, there was no red flag whatsoever about it. So I deposited the check, and uh, as most banks, I think, are required to do, they issue a receipt uh, deposit ticket that indicates the funds are going to be held and would be, quote, available on a given date. Well, the funds became available on t- two days later, two banking days later, and I just wasn't uh, able to get any wire out until the next day. Uh, and so I checked to see if credit had been given to our account, and of course it had on the third day, and so I instituted the wire, which also went to a Korean bank, coincidentally. Uh, went to a Korean bank called the Wari Bank, W-O-O-R-I. Uh, we checked on the Wari Bank before the wire was sent, and much like John's experience, they checked out. It's a fairly, repu- uh, to, to, to our knowledge, a reputable uh, large bank in Korea with no indications whatsoever that uh, you know they, they didn't have uh, bona fides in, in, in Korea. So... That was not too much of a red flag. What happened to the check? Uh, Did the check apparently it did, obviously didn't clear? The check was was uh, presented to SunTrust the next day for payment, and was immediately stamped counterfeit. 
since there is litigation now that involves me and, and SunTrust, I am very anxious to find out how they determined so quickly it was counter, counterfeit. But they did. And, you know, in my situation, Craig and John, between the time that it was deemed to be counterfeit and the time that my wire went out was two full business days. And I'm unclear on who's doing what, when, and how. John, in your circumstance, uh, you got the check and deposited it into your account. What happened to it? And No, I did, I did not deposit it. Oh, you didn't? No. Um, uh, I, had, I had written my management and said that I was growing very uncomfortable with this, and uh, I held the check. But I must say, very much like Greg, I got this check, and, and it was a really good job. The first thing I did was hold it up to the light, and there's an anti-fraud watermark in there. But I got the check, and uh, I held it. And the day after I got the check, I got a telephone call, presumably from uh, Techno Design, uh, stating, had I gotten the uh, wiring instructions, and had I wired the money? And I said to the person who called, I got your wiring instructions, and I'm not going to wire your money. Send me new wiring instructions to your company only, and I will be back to you. But I'm not sending uh, funds to a third party. Uh, The concern I had, I had a legal concern, and the concern I had was that even if this was legitimate, the uh, seller of the goods... Uh, to whom the money was owed and who was going to be collecting these funds, uh, I I had a concern that he was uh, evading income uh, from his Japanese taxes by se- by s- directing me to send it to a third country, and in doing so, if I participated in that, uh, I had some concern of whether that would be money laundering, and I I simply stopped stopped and said. I'm not going to do any of that. If the money is owed to a company in Japan, we'll forward the money to the company in Japan, and we will not forward it to a third party. What did you do with the check, and where is it now? Uh, It's in the hands of the FBI. So you've turned the whole matter over to the FBI. Oh, yes. And you've also issued a warning to a group that you belong to. Is that right? Yes. Uh, I am the the law firm. Uh, My law firm is a member of a group that's called the International Business Law Consortium. And the goal of the consortium is to appoint one law firm in every major city in the world so that lawyers such as, as, as me, who uh, does business internationally, uh, will, will have contacts throughout uh, the world. And I asked them to send, uh, I sent a warning to the business law consortium and asked them to notify every law firm that was a member of the consortium in the United States and Canada of what was going on. I mean, I, I considered these people very, very slick. They knew exactly what they were doing. And when the company that was the alleged debtor that I ultimately traced down told me that 50% of the lawyers who had contacted had been contacted fell for this, I mean, that is a stunning number, and I knew these guys were very good and very 
successful at, at their criminality. So I, I pretty much dropped a lot of stuff yeah. to, well, uh, to warn the community. We need to take a short break. When we return, we'll hear more about this check fraud scam and what to do if you're targeted. Lawyer to Lawyer is produced by the Legal Talk Network and a staff of broadcast professionals. If you have an idea for a topic or a show, we want to hear from you. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and send us an email. Check out our Lawyer to Lawyer host blogs, J. Craig Williams' blog at MayHavePleaseTheCourt.com, likewise Robert Ambrogi's blog at LegalLine.com for daily legal observations, perspective, and, of course, a healthy dose of humor and wit. If you have a comment or question, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message on the Legal Talk Network listener line at 781-634-8959. We really do listen to the messages and even answer your questions on our next show. A video settlement documentary is a powerful tool. It can turn your plaintiff's case into money at the settlement table. Call the professionals at Skyways Communications at 781 551 9960 to find out more. Think you need a video about your firm? You're right. Have your video produced by TV professionals and seen on law.com, Legal Talk Network, and YouTube. And on your website, too. It's called Legal Channels. Check it out on LegalTalkNetwork.com or law.com. Just click on Legal Channels. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We'd like to welcome back attorney Gregory Bartko, a securities and corporate attorney out of Atlanta, and attorney John Donahue, senior counsel from Thorpe, Reed, and Armstrong in Philadelphia. Greg, right before the break, we were talking about uh, John's turning this matter over to the FBI, and obviously you're in some litigation and uh, some other fallout from it, uh, notification to the uh, Atlanta uh, to the uh, Georgia State Bar regarding this situation? Yeah, I, uh, I'm very interested in what John did because one of the things that um, surprised me when uh, everything unfolded, let's say in a negative uh, way with our firm, uh, I sent uh, in, in Georgia, and I suspect maybe in many states, uh, if there's an overdraft uh, in, in a lawyer's trust account, there's an electronic or automatic notice sent to the state bar. And so I knew that you know, I had to notify the state bar of an, a rather sizable overdraft. And I, when the inquiry came, I responded, uh, you know, with the facts that I've just relayed to you to you today. And I told them I, in my cover letter, I, I said that I have information that this is a scam that's been perpetrated on other lawyers in Georgia, which I did at that time. And I was encouraging the state bar to send a notice out to all members. And um, I don't know one way or the other, but I never got a notice. The facts of this situation came to light when uh, Wachovia filed suit against me in a local publication by the name of the Daily Report, which is, uh, I think, owned by, uh, uh, I'm not sure uh, who owns them, but the Law.com also picked up on the, the, uh, the publication. And it was disseminated to many uh, other states, and then I think the ABA picked up on it and disseminated information to its members. Uh, I, I've gotten many, many phone calls, probably between 15 and 20 phone calls from lawyers just like John and just like Greg, 
Afghanistan. Some of them were in a state, you know, as they called me, they were exchanging emails with a company in Korea or or Tokyo or Taiwan. Um, I've been contacted by an attorney in Florida who was, in my opinion, one of the first ones to uh, be victimized by this scam, and that gave rise to a fraud alert that was put out by SunTrust Bank. Um, and, you know, the beat goes on. I, I, I get calls uh, frequently. One other thing, though, I wanted to make uh, a point on, Craig and John, was I tried to contact the FBI. I filed a complaint with the FBI, and I also contacted the U.S. Secret Service. And I've gotten, I've gotten no attention whatsoever. Uh, so I may very well be interested in talking to John off, offline and, and finding out um, if there's some other people that would be a little better to talk to than the people I did. Let's well, see if we can get that information right now, John. Yeah, here is the difference between your circumstance and mine. I got a check and I got an invoice. So I've now delivered to the FBI you know, physical evidence. They can now take the check. They can do a fingerprint analysis to see if uh, they can draw fingerprints from it. They can do the same with the invoice because these were sent by people. So the the luck that I had that you didn't, Greg, is that when I delivered to the Bureau my story, I delivered to them physical evidence. And they they simply can't ignore that. And John, you're a bit of a different story too, because you used to be in the FBI, right? You know, that's an interstate transportation of stolen property investigation, and the 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 bureau opens those cases and pursues it. So um, I have confidence that the bureau will not let this die. I mean, it is a very big fraud. Well, I was going to make uh, that point just since the article appeared um, about my situation here in Atlanta, which is about seven or eight business days ago. I have coded up the uh, uh, losses from lawyers that have called me, and it's it's seven figures. It is over a million dollars. Yeah. Well, what can what can lawyers do, gentlemen? Let's let's see if we can uh, give some advice here. What can lawyers do to nip this in the bud when this kind of stuff occurs? Obviously, there are a number of us who are international lawyers who work with, uh, especially here in California, we work with companies in the Pacific Rim all the time. What should we be aware of? I I I have. Uh two lessons that um, uh, I, I've learned from this. I think lawyers ought to be saying to uh, prospective clients, you know, thank you for engaging us, uh, but we now want you to understand our law firm's policy. If we get funds from uh, you, for you as a client, we will hold those funds for 15 or 20 days, a very comfortable number so that we are assured uh, that there is no fraud in the transaction uh, or the movement of these funds. And I think as soon as a huckster sees that, they're going to move on to someone else. Another uh, defense that I have heard from other firms is that they have what they call wire-in and wire-out policies, that they will only allow wire money to be wired into their account and that they will only wire money out and they won't accept uh, checks any longer. So those are, those are things that, uh, that I would recommend lawyers consider. And, and Greg, uh, for sure, when we're offline, I will make sure you get a copy of the letter that I sent to the Bureau. 
because then uh, I'll give you the name of an SAC who has heard this scheme before. Appreciate it, John. I, I would echo uh, John's uh, advice. I, uh, there are ways that you can determine or check on the, on the validity of a check, an instrument. You can um, cross-check the uh, routing uh, number, the ABA routing number, and the coding on the check. However, I personally would not trust that as a 100% fail-safe method. I think John's suggestion of adopting a policy uh, wire against wire is really the only way uh, to, to make sure that the law firm doesn't end up on the losing end of the stick and or the law firm's bank because uh, in my situation, you know, I have a great relationship with Wachovia that isn't so great anymore. Uh, and, and we'll see how that shakes out. But you sure don't want to damage banking relationships uh, because of something like this. And, uh, Craig, as, as I think you know, uh, when I uh, asked the International Business Law Consortium to alert its members, I had three of, of the consortium members come back to me and said they had been solicited. None of them got very far. One of the circumstances I think that concerns me is a lot of lawyers are being solicited and uh, they're ignoring it. They're not telling their management. They're not telling other lawyers. They're certainly not telling the FBI. I think there could be value in some of these emails if they'd simply turn them over to the FBI. And uh, another reason, of course, that lawyers who've been really victimized aren't saying is I think some of them are embarrassed and I think they've got to get over that. Uh, especially if the bank has has failed in its obligations, we, we've got to we've got to have people coming forward and identifying how serious this is. Well, one last question: uh, What liability does the bank have in this circumstance? Well, it, it hate to give you the lawyer answer. It depends. Uh, it it really there are uh, state laws under the Uniform Commercial Code that govern the uh, process by which banks. Uh, present and collect their checks. And also there, is, there are federal regulations uh, uh, that also govern that. And there are rather short time periods that checks have to, or excuse me, banks have to make funds available. Um, and without getting into complications, uh, banks sometimes miss their deadlines on either paying a check or returning it unpaid and so on. And in, in my case, uh, that is of concern to me. Uh, so banks can end up uh, being responsible if they don't clear and follow these procedures with ordinary care. Great. Well, John, um, it's time for us to wrap up and get your final thoughts as well as your contact information. And if you think it's appropriate to uh, add in the uh, uh, contact information or the name of the special agent in charge at the FBI who's investigating this situation. Well, um, I have turned... Uh, all the information I have over to the special agent in charge of the Philadelphia office of the FBI. Uh, if there are lawyers out there who have been victimized, what I would recommend that they do is uh, write the agent in charge of the FBI office in the, in the city in which they are located, uh, or if, if they're suburban lawyers, in the major city uh, that that is attached to them. Uh, the, the, the FBI is very, very good inter-offices communications. Um, 
and and they will they will be able to connect the dots. Um, I don't think it's necessary that everybody write the FBI office in Philadelphia, and frankly, it's probably better that they write the local FBI office where they are because that's where, as to them, that's where the crime was committed. Right. And give us, if you would, please, your final thoughts and your contact information for our listeners. Um, Craig, I guess my final thought, since I'm in litigation uh, with the banks, is this is I can I can relate to your listeners that this has a very been a very very painful process. Uh, I'll go one step further. John, John's situation didn't involve the negotiation of a check, and he's fortunate for that. My situation did, but there's even a worse situation, and 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 I think all your listeners out there would probably uh, affirm this. If the lawyer has other funds in his trust account from other clients that that are for legitimate transactional purposes or whatever have you, retainers and such, if there's a chargeback in that in that uh, trust account, then that chargeback is going to sweep those those funds. Uh, into the chargeback. In other words, the bank gets a hold of them. And that, what that does is, is it creates a huge ethical problem for that particular lawyer. So it even can get worse beyond just the loss of money uh, that, that the lawyer may sustain with his bank. That lawyer may have to make it right with two or three other clients, and that, that can be really damaging. I'm sure. Um, hopefully there's nobody out there that, that is subject to that or has experienced that because I don't think, um, uh, you know, I just think that's that, that's really a severe penalty. In terms of my contact information, Craig, the, probably the best thing for me to do is just give you, uh, give your listeners my website. My firm website is www.securitieslawcouncil.com, common spellings. And uh, through that uh, venue, I can be reached by email, and of course, our address, phone contacts, and the like are there. And John, your contact information? Uh, my email address is J, the letter J, Donahue, D O N O H U E, at Thorpe Reed, T H O R P R E E D dot com. And the law firm of Thorpe Reed and Armstrong is on the on the web. Gentlemen, thank you very much for participating today. This has probably been one of the most practical shows that we've done in terms of providing uh, real-world, everyday advice to our listeners to avoid these kind of scams. And hopefully uh, it'll get the word out and get the FBI alerted to these things and there can be some coordinated attack on what's going on in apparently Korea uh, and perhaps Japan and other Asian countries to uh, and protect some of our uh, our fellow lawyers from uh, losing money out of their trust accounts. So thank you very much for uh, for participating today. And Craig, th- thank you very much for the service you're providing. You're I'll welcome. echo that, Craig. Thank you. Good talking to you both. Well, that about does it for this week's Lawyer to Lawyer. Remember, you can check out all of our Lawyer to Lawyer shows at thelegaltalknetwork.com. And remember as well that our anniversary show is coming up. Bob Ambrogi and I will be celebrating our third anniversary on Lawyer to Lawyer. We'd like you to join us on the show and celebrate. Just send us an email telling us your experience with Lawyer to Lawyer, and we'll handpick you to tell you your story on the show. Send an email to lawyer number two lawyer at legaltalknetwork.com with anniversary guest in the title of the email. And a very special thanks to our guests for being with us today. Wonderful information. Please also remember you can find all the Legal Talk Network shows on iTunes. We'll be back next week with another great legal topic.
Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. Lawyer to Lawyer has been sponsored by Law.com. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Gee Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.